Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen of Calvary Chapel Pearland. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. And so there was once a six-year period of time when the promised land of Israel and all its borders had three different kings ruling at exactly the same time. Asia reigned over the separated kingdom of Judah. Then you had Omri and Tibni. They reigned over the remaining tribes, the last other ten tribes that had all split in half from each other. So to think there were three different kingdoms within the land that God gave to the children of Israel where there was originally intended to be one king. That sounds crazy. But after six years of this, Omri became the sole ruler after what was most likely the execution of Tibni when he took him over. Why all this craziness, you're asking? Well, how did everything get so messed up? I'll tell you how it got so messed up in one word the word sin. Guys, sin makes everything crazy. It makes everything go nuts. Lots of division. We don't like you. Well, we don't like you either. We're going to split. Okay, split. I don't care. Well, then the splits start splitting. Well, that's what's going on here. The split become a split. And it just, you ever look at our world today and our nation and wonder why everybody's so separated and divided all the time? It's because of sin. There's unity in the body of Christ, but in sin, there is division. So it says that Omri bought a hill for two talents of silver. The talent was about uh, 75 pounds or so. It was a lot of money, and it was more money than anybody could afford, except only a king could ever have that much. But why did he want this hill so bad? This hill was a very strategic place for defense. It was up in an elevated position. It was up real high. You could see enemies coming from a long way off, and you could move your guys around to do something about it. Plus, being high, it was kind of impregnable. It was hard to attack it and win. It was kind of like the Air Force of their day, get up on a big hill and stay up there. It was a very strategic place to fortify the land. So you could see that he was fortifying his territory. 1 Kings 16.25 Omri did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did worse than all who were before him. For he walked in all the ways of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and in his sin, by which he had made Israel sin, provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger with their idols. Now the rest of the acts of Omri, which he did, and the might that he showed, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? So Omri rested with his fathers and was buried in Samaria. Then Ahab his son reigned in his place. So Omri, he was a very powerful and a very political king, and he did a lot during his reign. He was very productive, very accomplished king. But the problem with him, even though he's very successful and he bought the hill and fortified the positions, got the defense all great, and he finally took Tibni out, a successful guy. But the problem was he had the worst spiritual condition of any king that was ever before him. You know, this makes me think about things that 
you can have leaders who are very good politically. They're very good militarily. They're good in finances. But if their spiritual condition with the Lord is terrible, that's not a good leader, friends. It's just not. And so most people, they measure a leader by their achievements. That's what we do. Well, look, I did this and I did that, and that's a good candidate. Here's his his resume. Look at all the great stuff he did. But the Bible measured Omri according to how he walked with the Lord. So what I'm trying to say is don't think you're not successful if you haven't accomplished big big, big features yet. If you walk with the Lord, friends, that's success. I would rather be unsuccessful in the world and be un, not get any major things done that people could ooh and ah about. But if, as long as my walk with the Lord God is good, then that is success to me. That is success in God's word. Walk with the Lord. That is a very successful way to live. But Omri, he didn't walk with the Lord, though he did a lot. He was the worst ruler that Israel ever had so far. 1 Kings 16.29. In the 38th year of Asia, king of Judah. Asia, keep going, dude. Look at that. 38 years. 38th year of Asia, king of Judah. Ahab, the son of Omri, became king over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. Now, Ahab, the son of Omri, guess what, guys? Here we go again. Did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took as wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. And he went and served Baal and worshipped him. Then he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a wooden image. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In his days, Hiel of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundation with Abiram, his firstborn, and with his youngest son, Segub. He set up its gates according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun. Okay, so as if it wasn't enough that Omri was the worst king that there ever was, here comes Ahab, and he did more wickedness than all the kings that were before him. You thought that guy was bad. Look at what Ahab did. He did more than all the rest of them put together. I mean, this is exponentially getting worse by every king that shows up. So Ahab had such an incredible, crazy disregard to the Lord that to illustrate just how bad he was, see, we, we, we're try, the Bible just gave us some information to give us an, a picture of how terrible this guy was that we are told about a story of a guy named Hiel. He lived during Ahab's days. Apparently, Ahab had influenced him with Ahab's own sin to get Hiel to do something so stupid. Can you imagine having done something so stupid that you get your own particular mention in the Bible? Hey, what this guy did was dumb. <laughs> okay, well, here it comes. <laughs> it says he built Jericho. He built Jericho. In our language today, that means he rebuilt Jericho because we know from history that Jericho had existed and fallen before this time. So he rebuilt, it says he built Jericho. He tried to rebuild that old city 
the same city where the walls fell down in Joshua's days. So why was it so dumb to rebuild Jericho? Verse 34, it says that Hiel laid Jericho's foundation with his firstborn, and with his youngest son he set up its gates. What does that mean? This means that his children died for rebuilding Jericho. But why did they die? Okay, right after Jericho was built, the Lord commanded that this town was to never, ever be built again. In Joshua 6.26, it says, Then Joshua charged them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds this city, Jericho. He shall lay its foundations with his firstborn, and with his youngest he shall set up its gates. So that was the warning. Don't build this town again. And everybody knew about it. It was in the records. It was their history. They know. But then 530 years later, Hiel tried to rebuild Jericho anyway. And so laying the foundation, that's the start of the project. You, you have to lay the foundation first. That's the beginning. Hanging the gate is the finished part. That's the last thing to be done after everything else is built. And so what we see here is he lost one son at the laying of the foundation, and he lost another one at setting up the gate. That means all this period of time it took to build everything up, he lost two. Now, if losing the first child over laying the foundation does not change your mind, that, hey, I, the Lord God meant what he said, don't build this town, I better get right with him. If that doesn't change your mind, if that doesn't influence you to stop it, then by the time he got to the gate, and lost another son, that should tell us just how thick-headed Hiel was towards God. He just wouldn't have it. They didn't care. Two sons gone, so what? He didn't care about God's warning at all. And Ahab is the influence that made Hiel like this. It says that Hiel lived in Ahab's time. This is what the sin was doing. It's killing people. It damages people. It destroys. It hurts. So now you can see why verse 34 says that Hiel lost his sons according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun. Joshua said, don't rebuild this town again. You'll, whoever does, they're going to lose their kids over it. And Hiel did it. And he lost his kid exactly like the Lord said. Now we are shown just how God hating and how dense Ahab was because we got to review Hiel's story. Everybody knew, don't rebuild this place. But we see that their attitude was like, who cares what God commanded? We're going to do what we want. We're going to do what we feel like doing. Who cares what God wants us to do? And so from this line of kings that were constantly in a downward spiral of hating God, doing wicked things, we can now see the culmination of how irreverent they were, of how ignorant they were, of how bad the society had become under the influence of these bad, wicked kings. The leadership sinned, and it caused Israel to sin along with them. Proverbs sixteen twelve. It is an abomination for kings to commit wickedness, for a throne is established by righteousness. Friends, these bad kings, they were misusing the position that they had that could have been intended for good use. It could have been used a better way. They were wasting their throne time to do terrible things. One of them drank himself all the time, a little frat boy, drinking his his wine down, having a good party time. Hey, I'm just going to live the party life. He should have been doing better 
with the leadership he had. God warned if anybody rebuilt Jericho, they'd sure pay for it. And you saw what happened to Hiel. So we learn from Hiel's story that when God says he's going to do something, he keeps it. 530 years later, Hiel's probably, ah, you know, God said that five over 500 years ago. It, it doesn't mean anything today. And it did. God says he's going to do something. He does it. Matthew 24, 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. See, this is the Lord saying, when I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. Regardless if it's a long time or not, I will do it. And Hiel's story teaches us the faithfulness of God's word, that when he says he'll do it, he will. People today, they have this way of thinking, oh gosh, the Bible is so old It's so irrelevant. It's from so long ago. I mean, it's thousands of years back. It doesn't have any meaning to it anymore. And people that think like this, they have the same level of irreverent ignorance. They they have the same hard-boiled, I-don't-care-about-God attitude that Ahab and Hiel had. And friends, that kind of an attitude we just read, it cost them a lot. It cost them. God's word is not so old that it's irrelevant, and it doesn't matter how long ago God said it, even if it takes so long that both heaven and earth have to pass away, you can trust that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. Numbers twenty three nineteen. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Friends, the point I'm trying to convey here is that since we have wicked leaders today, there's a lot of wicked influence. The TV is a leader. You turn it on, they throw stuff at you, and you want to do what it's saying to do. We've got bad leadership today. Don't become so clueless and so irreverent about the Lord God that you allow these wicked people to influence you to sin with them. If they're going to sin and not turn, okay, that's on them. That's your choice. You're going that way, but I'm not going with you. We need to have a little bit of a sense about what the Lord wants us to do in our faith. We need to follow and obey the Lord God. Don't go down with them. Sin makes you stupid. Sin makes you weak. And sin makes you vulnerable. It makes you an easy target, very easy to fall to enemy attacks, just like how Zimri was made very vulnerable to Omri that he was an easy target, took him out real easy. Keep yourself in God's word. Read it, speak it, think it, do it. Read it, speak it, think it, do it. It will keep you strong in faith of the Lord. All of human history shows us a long-running track record of God's promises that have remained unbroken. Not a one of them have fallen to the ground that God said he would do. And so there's no reason for us to not trust God that he's going to make good on the promises that he has still yet to fulfill. There's a lot of promises God hasn't yet done that he will do. Now, I know that all of us have our ignorant days. We've all done our stupid things. And one of the things they say is the best things about being over the age of 40 is that you did most of your stupid things, got it all out of the way before the internet came along. And I'm very glad of that. (laughs) We've all had our irreverence towards God. We've all done stupid things, but let's take comfort in what Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.12. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me 
because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. You see, friends, unbelief causes you to act ignorantly, ignorantly, ignorant of God's word, ignorant of God's commands, ignorant of what God says is the safe way to live. If you're ignorant to that, you're going to go down a fool. You're going to go down like these kings did. But friends, don't beat yourself up over what you've done in your old ignorant days, because we all have them. I have mine, believe me. There is always restoration from our ignorance. The Lord God brings us back in Jesus Christ. So today we saw God execute judgment on the wicked concerning rebuilding Jericho and a number of other things in the previous chapters. God kept his word on executing that judgment that he is going to take the bad guys down. He says, I'm going to take the bad guys down. They're not going to get, get, get away with it forever. I'll get them. But I want you to also know that God also keeps his word on executing salvation too. Romans 10, 13 says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be, shall be, shall be saved. It does not say might be saved. It doesn't say probably. doesn't say your chances are good. doesn't say 50%. It doesn't even say 99% probable. It says you will be saved, shall be saved. You're going to be saved. Now, this is a promise that is spoken by the same exact God that said that all of heaven and earth will pass away, but his words never will. The Lord God who said that all of his words will remain for eternity has promised you that if you call upon his name, Lord Jesus, you will be saved. Isn't that good? You can put your trust in that promise. So consider that God said, if you rebuild that wicked place, somebody's going to die for it. And here come old Hiel, just as clueless as it gets, he demonstrated the immense depth of rejection that he had towards the Lord by breaking the Lord's commandment, and somebody died for it. Friends, we've all done this too. The same thing. In sin, we all demonstrated our own immense depth of rejection that we had for the Lord. We broke his commandments, and guess what? Somebody died for it. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I want you to notice how all these kings we've been reading about, they kept falling off, falling off. But the Lord still maintained his promise for David's line through the tribe of Judah. There was a, that guy, Asa, that we measured against in, in the 23rd year of Asa, in the 26th year of Asa. It's always measured on Asa. <laughs> that was on the, Asa was on the line of David. God kept his promise for David's line to keep a line of David's ancestry in that throne. That's why it says Ela ruled in the 26th year of King Asa. Zimri ruled in the 27th year of King Asa. All these kings were falling off, but God kept his man Asa in the line of Judah going strong. God promised someone from David's line would stay on that throne of Judah. Now, all these other kings that were not of Judah, these other guys after Jeroboam, they had no right to claim royalty for themselves. They tried to claim it. They tried to steal it, but they could never hold on to it. They tried, 
They were mighty. The Bible says, look it up. They're in the history books. You can see how tough they were, but no matter how strong they were, they could not hold on to that royalty. Zimri was so deceived into thinking that he had his own kingdom that his own palace fell right down on top of his head. Friends, we have no right to claim royalty for ourselves. To think that you can have your own kingdom is deception, and it will also fall down on your own head. You don't have the power to hold on to it yourself. Your own kingdom might be your career. It might be your money, your stature, the look at me, how cool I am. I don't know what. Various things. You cannot build your own kingdom that's going to withstand eternity. It's going to fall on your head. Now, I'm just trying to say that, friends, if you really want to wear a crown, if wearing a crown is a big thing to you, you've got to wear something. If you want to wear a crown that bad, then I suggest that you claim the royalty, not of yourself, but the royalty of Jesus Christ. James 1.12, blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. (laughs) Friends, that's the crown you want to wear right there. Are you trying to build your own kingdom? Maybe it's your money. Maybe it's your stature. Maybe it's some kind of big project you're working on that does not glorify God first because it glorifies you. (laughs) Maybe you need to consider what you're doing in life. Who are you glorifying? Are you trying to make yourself look awesome? Are you trying to make the Lord look awesome in front of people who have ignorance about him? If you try to make your own crown for your own kingdom, then your entire palace is going to fall down, destroyed, and it's going to fall on your head. I'm just trying to help you to not be an easy target for the enemy to come and take you down so easy. Give your life to Jesus. Become his royalty. You don't have your own royalty. You never will. But he offers to adopt you into his royalty. He's the one that died for our sin so that you don't have to die for it. He's the one that offers you his kingdom work because your kingdom is going to fall down and it's going to hurt you. He's giving you better than what you could do for yourself. Don't be as clueless as it gets. Give your life to Jesus and you will not have a failing kingdom. Father God, we come before you in prayer. Lord, for those hearing me today, they realize they've messed up. They have been using their resources and their time. They've been allocating all their things to building their own kingdom. And that, Lord, if they want to get right with you today, because they feel it falling, they see cracks in the walls, they, it's, they know it's coming down. Lord, we ask you to forgive us. We repent and we turn back. And friend, I want you to understand during this prayer that when you turn from your sin, God gives you a command, do not go back and rebuild that city ever again. Do not go back and rebuild that sin that you are building for yourself. You walk away from it and you leave it and you never go back. Forgive us, Father, for our ignorance. And we thank you that you came, Lord Jesus, and died in our place so that we could be saved. We thank you for eternal life and that it's bound by promise. In Jesus' name, amen. You are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you. Thank you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life 
is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen of Calvary Chapel Pearland. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.